0: Hey, listeners, your host, Denny Corby here. If you're new to the channel, I just want to let you know that this particular episode is from the vault with our OG host, Gabe, and this is just good old-fashioned Private Club Radio. Enjoy. Welcome to Private Club Radio, your weekly source for industry education, news, and discussion. Broadcasting from Tampa, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, here
1: is your host, Gabriel Aloisi. We've got an all-star cast joining us today on Private Club Radio. We'll be speaking with Dick Coplin of Coplin, Keebler & Wallace. We will also be hearing from Michael McCarthy over at Addison Reserve, alongside Peter Nanula of Concert Golf Partners. And we're going to be exploring board issues today, some of the common problems that are faced across the country. And more importantly, we're going to get into solutions, how boards should run in a more efficient manner, as well as what issues boards should be looking at closely in this next decade. Just a couple of announcements before we get started here. I want to remind you about the Club Innovation Conference that's happening on January 12th through the 14th. This is an online conference, no travel necessary. Some great speakers in the lineup, including I will be there, of course, (laughs) but including Greg Patterson of uh, Tribal Magic and, of course, former general manager of the Beach Club. Whitney Pinnell of RCS Hospitality, Joe Cren of Farmington Country Club, Michael Crandall, CNG, a number of titans in the industry will be speaking there that you will want to hear. Again, fully online conference. You can get your tickets at clubinnovationconference.com. Next up, I want to let you know about a little special offer that's happening for the ABCs of Plutonium Private Club Leadership. This is the book that I co-authored alongside 22 experts from all aspects of the private club industry. In fact, I will go out on a limb and say that this is the most comprehensive piece of nonfiction ever written on private club leadership development. And it's a book that if you haven't read, you absolutely should. You can get a free sample on our website as well. But for a limited time during the holidays, we're offering something special for those that order multiple copies for their board or for their management team. And we've had clubs all over the country do this. They order six, nine or 12 books, sometimes even 24 books for the board and for the staff. If you make a bulk order this holiday season on our website, we will offer you personalization free, meaning we will put your club's logo as well as a motto, clubs have used a quote, anything that you would like to put, we will customize that for you on your copy so that this book can become your own for your club. So if you've got a few extra dollars in the budget, maybe you didn't get to attend some conferences this year, for instance, that you normally travel to and you've got some extra education money, this is a great way to spend that money in an effective manner that will really pay dividends to you and your club for many, many years to come. You can make those orders at plutonium.club, so it's not a .com. Just put in plutonium.club and make an order of six books or more and get the free personalization this holiday season. All right, without further ado, we're going to bring on our special guests and talk to Peter, Michael, and Dick. Here we go. Welcome to another edition of Gord Chats here on Private Club Radio. This segment, as always, sponsored by Concert Golf Partners, doing amazing things across the country for private clubs. And as always, we're joined by Peter Nula, who is the CEO of Concert Golf. Peter, welcome to the show, man. How are you? It's been
2: a while. Hey, Good to see you remotely.
1: Great to be with you. You you guys are up to 22 clubs now. Tell us what's going on and catch us up in the Concert Golf world.
2: Yeah, 22 private clubs and uh, the year of COVID, right? Uh, So it's been a crazy year where we thought the world was ending and then golf clubs became the most popular thing around so who knew right but like michael can probably discuss you know we got COVID issues to deal with we've got how do you run a club business without real banquets or weddings so you can imagine what that's like yeah. but well golf is setting all-time records and your your superintendents are going crazy about the amount of play right? it's it's a nutty year but uh we've added a couple more clubs this year and they smoothly joined the group and um uh, not good, all good.
1: I was just talking to a member who had been up to uh, Blue Hill in Massachusetts and just saying there's rave reviews about it saying how great a great of a club it was. Oh, good to hear, yep, you guys have quite a portfolio, it's very diverse all over in really in key cities across the country uh and peter just a just a fountain of knowledge for folks who have not heard Peter on this show before, so you're gonna enjoy it, and we've got two really special guests that's going to that's going join Peter here today um Mr. Michael McCarthy of Addison Reserve in Delray Beach, Florida, as well as the legend himself, Dick Coplin of Coplin, Keebler and Wallace will join us. And uh, we're going to have a lot of fun here. Um, Peter, before we before we we bring it over to Dick and Michael, why why are we discussing board governance today?
2: Yeah, you know, you and I started this podcast quite a while ago to to get inside the boardroom of private clubs. And we've talked a lot about capital or strategy and and issues like that, but I guess I have found the work that Michael and Dick have been doing for years about club governance interesting because just about all the member club boards I talk to seem to have the same uh, common list of issues with their boards where their boards aren't really acting like the boards I'm familiar with. they don't seem very strategic, they don't seem to have a consistent business plan they're just a lot of people poking their noses into daily operations at their club and that's not like boards if you sit on company boards for a living like i've done that's just not what boards do and i thought oh, i'll be refreshing on this little segment that we do to talk to these guys who i think have sort of pioneered a better model for club governance
1: that's right well let me in- introduce uh, michael mccarthy he's the general manager of addison reserve Michael, um, tell the folks for, for those that don't know you, which I'm sure is a very small few in the private club world, tell us a little bit about your background and history and, and how you got to be where you are today.
0: Oh, well, I came up on the culinary side um, as a young kid. Um, grew up with dyslexia and all kinds of learning disabilities and hmm. knew that a formal college education was going to be real difficult for a guy like me. So, my mom, who was an incredible, cook kind of got me into cooking at 10 years old. And I worked my way through kitchens from the age of 13 through high school uh, into culinary school, graduated culinary school, um, discovered my first club and um, wound up becoming executive chef at age 21 years old at a club up in northern New Jersey, Um, spent seven plus years there, and then was recruited to a um, super high-end club, um, Northern New Jersey Jewish, uh, Jewish-type country club, which was a whole uh, new learning experience for me. Was hired as chef, um, was there six months, and was promoted to general manager within six months. Um, mm. And I was twenty-six years old at the time. Um, spent the next. Five plus years there and uh, got a call from a dear friend, uh, J.D. Pietro, which many of you know, um, to look at an opportunity down south in Palm Beach County, a developer run club called uh, Ballon Isle at the time. Um, they were just taking it out of the ground. There were about 400 homes built at that time. Uh, we had a final build out of 1600 homes, very large community and, and private club had the incredible opportunity to work with an amazing businessman, uh, Roy Davidson, uh, John bills, um, under, you know, a professional business structure and coming from a member owned club into a developer owned club. It was a real eye opener. Um, I had the opportunity to meet Dick at, at a very young age and, um, it was we we had these discussion points because Dick too um, had worked for developers and he had worked for, you know, private equity clubs. And we we clicked off immediately understanding that there was a big difference between being a goal-driven organization under a developer uh, compared to an agenda driven organization, which is what we usually see in private equity clubs around the country. There there is there are leaders that have great volunteer leaders that have great intentions, unfortunately, they get wrapped up uh, in agendas, whether it's their own, whether it's their small group of friends that they're representing,
3: compared
0: to um, setting, setting a great strategic plan, a great vision, and having a goal-driven organization. So as, as my career progressed, we, we took Ballon Oil through Turnover, and the developer was leaving, I had to remain a uh, part of the exit agreement two years with, uh, the members after they had taken the club over. And I realized real quick quickly how things were changing. Um, I, I don't know if it was for the good or the not good. I mean, I have a different opinion. I probably won't voice that now, but, uh, hence why I made a change a couple of years after that. But, um, it, it became an agenda-driven organization. And after being in a culture with professional people that set goals and objectives every year, we were able to hold people accountable for their performance. I realized real quick that um, going back to to where I was earlier in my career probably wasn't gonna be uh, right for me going forward. So hence why I made the change. Um, Pattison, at the time was really floundering. They had gone through four general managers in a five-year period. Um, so they had turned over the club, went through the same thing. We own the club. We're going to operate the club. We're going to do this, that, the other thing. We we know what happens uh, when when that all takes place. Uh, for for some reason, when clubs usually turn over, the members have this perception that there's a pot of gold someplace in the building uh, because the developer had to be making money and they don't understand. So they dig, dig, dig and interrogate and they realize that there really isn't any money in club operations for developers. We, we made money on selling dirt, building houses and selling memberships and club operations were always you know, a loss leader for us. So um coming coming down to Addison, they had gone through this really, really tough transition for about five years and we're ready to surrender. And when I started to lay out um the differences between how we operated as a developer and how they were operating, we we really piqued interest. And you know, I threw some things out on the table, such as, you know, the big debt bad developer that everybody couldn't wait to get rid of. I I posed the question to them and said, today, knowing what you have experienced here, would you invite the developer back to take your business back over? I and mean, then nine people sitting in the room, all were shaking their head up and down, agreeing with me. They should and, have caught it made. And, <laughs> <go>. <laughs> and that was kind of the launching point um, for for at least me. Dick and I had, uh, Dick, Dick and I had sat and I, I believe Dick, you, you can confirm this, but back, back in the early two thousands, um, Dick, Dick had put this responsibility matrix together. Um, I believe Balan was the first one to implement that matrix and, hmm. you know, it, it made, it made so much sense and it was so clear uh, to me that this is the way these business need needed to be operated. I shared that shared that with the crew down here. I shared it with uh, the, the membership at that time. And they were in total agreement that this is the direction that we needed to go in. And um, from that day forward, we were we were off and running. They were they were hindered by huge amounts of committee involvement, 300 and 76 plus people serving on committees out of wow. 700 plus families, you know, 27 people on the green committee. There wasn't any grass people. on the golf course. Golf course was burnt up. They had 45 people on the house committee, mm-hmm. um, 27 people on the finance committee. They were. It was just complete chaos. And um, we agreed up front that we would take a hiatus from operational committees immediately. And the, the, first, the first day that I arrived, we had a town hall meeting for about 600 people. And um, we, we announced that we were eliminating all of the operational committees. Obviously, mm-hmm. the 300 plus people that were involved in selecting tablecloths and, you know, how to make grandma's favorite mm-hmm. soup uh, and, and on and on were upset. But we sent everybody a free uh, state dinner, thanked them for their services and, and terminated terminated um, those committee members that, that evening because we knew that we needed to put a brand new um, structure of club governance in and it was going to take time. There was no possible way for for myself to sit there and Handpick seven or nine committee members from a group of forty-five that were serving. I don't know them uh, politically. It would have been a nightmare. So it was it was just best that we take a little hiatus. Um, following year, we went and changed the bylaws because we we hit the ground running. We were you know really really doing great great things at that point, and we changed the bylaws eighty-seven percent approval not to have any operational committees. So yeah. um, they're fiduciary committees, you know, finance, audit, grievance, membership, legal, and um, leadership and development, which replaced um, nominating committee. I mean, I go on for hours about this. Yeah. You well, know, you know, we'll come back
1: of- to you about, with a few more questions, Mike, but thanks for giving us that, that overview. And I bet, uh, I, I assume things are running much more smoothly these days here. <laughs> Um, so this is our opportunity to bring on, um, Mr. Dick Copland, who I've heard touch on this subject many times at, uh, CMAA events and other educations, and they put out great research in the private club industry. Um, if you've ever probably looked for a job, you've run, run across Dick's firm, uh, Copland, Keebler and Wallace, and he's just a, just a fantastic individual who's very giving of the private club industry. So Dick, welcome, welcome to private club radio, sir. How are you, man?
3: Well, Nick, Gabe, thank you. Great to be back with you again, and hello, Peter, and hello, Michael. Uh, thanks for allowing me to join you today. I go back, uh, as Michael does, quite a ways in the business, a little bit further than Michael, forty-eight years. So that's probably about when Michael was born. I don't remember how, you know, how old he is. Wow. I've been in business, uh, been in the business a while. Uh, Twenty-five years ago, started our firm, and and uh, after managing a number of uh, very fine clubs around the country, but. Started our firm 25 years ago and have worked with probably over 16, 1,700 clubs now. And many wow. of them obviously playing a program we call board governance best practices. And that's what Michael had been referring to. I think one of the one of the uh slides that we use is a the matrix of the responsibilities. But I would listening to Michael talk, I, I would just add on I think when we when we go to clubs that are really well managed clubs like Michael's club. Uh, Michael's club, uh, what we see typically is that they get the governance right. If they don't get the governance right, nothing else seems to work. And that's really the characteristic of the top performing clubs. They've figured out how to do it. And sometimes they did it by accident. Sometimes they did it in a continued way. Sometimes it's been a, a matter of bringing in some uh, facilitators. But nonetheless, those are the clubs that typically will set themselves apart. And, and I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk about some of those specific strategies or how they've done that. And, and Michael has shared some of that, but, uh, I know we could, we probably talk about this all day, but, but, uh, we'll certainly try to focus in on just a few of the things that we see in, in really well, well-governed, well-managed clubs.
1: Yeah. Dick, um, you, I know you've been uh, pounding this drum for, for many, many years. Have you seen in general that the industry has shifted more towards letting the, the, the managers, and the and the staff actually run the operational side. Are we making headway in that respect?
3: I think we have made headway, and I the two reasons. I think boards are becoming a little more educated in terms of what the what the their role truly are, and secondly, I think the managers, the general managers, the COOs like Michael have have uh, really picked this up and, and have been discussing it and and uh, advocating for it, and and have. Uh, position themselves very nicely in the industry. Now, biggest challenge, I think Michael would agree with this, is I wish that there were more general managers who would step up. If there's, if there's a common complaint that we hear very often in clubs, it's it, that, look, we want a general manager to take the leadership role, but they, they seem to be a little reticent in doing it. So I think we've got a real challenge there educational-wise to, to really ensure that managers... Uh, feel comfortable in that role and too many of them simply for whatever reason don't seem to want to step up to that in, in that role and mm-hmm. michael has done right mm.
1: michael what what are some of the other shortcomings that you commonly see uh boards
3: so let me just dick let me go
0: back to to what you were saying and and why some of our colleagues maybe insecure of really ruling and leading with that iron fist. It comes back to job security. You know, our challenge in, in from this side is that, you know, every year you have three or four new people coming onto the board. I've had hundreds of board members uh, throughout my career that I had to work with. I've had some incredible leaders that i work with and I've, I've had some really crummy board members. Not a lot, thank God, and and not a lot at Addison um, for a long, long period of time. Because we're out there recruiting and and looking for the right cultural fit and trying to find people that are not representing their small group. They're they're not agenda driven. Um, but I I see in talking with with clubs around the country that in so many cases, the problem is the boardroom. And, you know, I, I've I've worked with clubs with some of the greatest CEOs from Fortune 500 companies that would never operate their company the way they allow their club to operate. Exactly. And, and what I've learned from those individuals, as I pose questions to them, was it's just different at the club. And whether you're you know, when you're the CEO of a major corporation, you're usually not getting criticized or questioned. Now now they put their hand up to volunteer, to, to, you know, offer their expertise to the club. And all of a sudden they go into the grill room and they're being criticized. They go out to the driving range and they're being criticized. The wife's coming home with a bunch of complaints for them. And all of a sudden, Um, They've signed up for something that they weren't prepared for. And back in their business, nobody posed those difficult criticizing questions to them, constantly complaining to them. And I think over time, uh, they come in with good intentions and they then become afraid to make decisions because they know they'll be criticized by their friends uh, back back at their golf group in the lunchroom in the card room and i think over time that constant beating uh really uh makes their vision blurry in in making the right decisions
1: peter you've spent quite a bit of time in boardrooms as a professional board member and sitting on club boards and of course speaking with a lot of boards around the country why do you think that these problems are so prevalent and what's the solution
2: yeah, no, this is fascinating for me to hear Michael and Dick talk about this. But yeah, this is not how company boards work. Everybody knows that. I guess you go to the club, and I'd love to hear Dick and Michael's view on this. You go to the club, and it's different because of the volunteer nature of it. It's considered to be a recreational amenity where everyone lives, so it's a more casual maybe kind of situation. It's not the board of you know General Motors. And so everyone feels like if I volunteered my time, I get to speak, I get to have a point of view, I get to poke my nose in. And I I think that's just the structural problem. That's the way the bylaws are written to have the rotating board. The minute you get somebody who's really capable, that guy's rolling off in a couple of years and, and new people are coming on who have agendas, like Michael said. But I'd love to hear, Michael, what you and Dick both think about why what you were just saying, Michael, a fortune 500 CEO person who knows darn well how to select a board and how to make that board work extremely well as a strategic group. Why is it that they walk into that first meeting and everything's different at their club?
1: Dick, you want to take that one on?
3: Well, uh, yeah, we, we've often fed, uh, you know, sometimes next to the co-check room, there should be a sign at the boardroom, uh, you know, the brain check room, because we've seen the the, the strangest things occur in boardrooms. And, and all of a sudden people are talking about things. They don't even know where they're talking about. them. And uh, I think a lot of that, Peter, really goes to the leadership, goes to the club president who needs to control the agenda. And one of the things we talk about a lot in our programs is the fact that you have to have a, a club president who really understands the dynamic in place in a, in a, private club boardroom. And you alluded to this, Peter, there's a, there's a turnover. One of the structural problems with the board is that every three years you get three new board members typically. And, you know, I just got a call from a club president who uh, said, well, you know, Dick, I think we're going to let go of our general, let our general manager go. I said, why is that? You've been there, you know, six years well you know we've had a change in board no it's not the same board than when he came here and a couple of members just don't think he treats them right i said isn't your club doing very well yeah we got a full membership and on and on and on. but i said really i said you got to rethink this you know and and i mean it, so just again you know there's just some real ill logic that that occurs and i i I'm not smart enough to figure that out, Michael. Do you have any ideas to how that happens? I mean, I I don't know. I've been watching it for 48 years. I still can't figure it out.
0: So, so, Dad, I commend you and and Kurt and Tom for all of the work that you guys do in the boardroom with these governance retreats. Right, the best practices. What, what I think we can all do better as an industry. You, you guys are so busy in in placement, and when you do a placement, obviously you go in and you do this board orientation, and you take them through, you know, best practices and horror stories, and everybody in that room at that time is in total agreement with everything that you guys are presenting. However, it, in my opinion, it needs to be done constantly. Okay. I, I look back at my 15 years here and the success that we've had. It's because I focus so much of my attention on making sure that I'm managing the expectations of the board. I'm constantly educating them. Um, you you know, I, I think back now what I really do on a daily basis. I do two things. I develop people and I protect the members from themselves. And that is the truth. That's what I protect the members from themselves. If I ever opened up the gates and the barbarians came through and it's a tough job keeping them outside that gate, okay, we'd be in trouble here real quickly. And it's a fight every day. And I don't mean that in negative way, but that is my job. My job is to protect and enhance a billion dollars worth of real estate investment here. I take it very seriously. I, I think well,
3: Michael. Yes, Michael. I'm interjecting only because you're hitting on a key point, and that is that oftentimes we don't see the orientation of boards taking place. And I asked the general manager, "Why in the world would you not do that? It's your golden opportunity every year to take those three new board members through a complete orientation process, including introducing them to all of the key managers, as looking at the assets of the club. I know you do a very good job with that." And I think that, to your point, that's your opportunity to to educate the boards. Now, you have to continue it every month, but you have a golden opportunity every time there's a new group of board members coming on to reinforce what you do and what the board does and the separation and explaining the matrix to them and here are your opportunities to, to function, here are mine, and we don't cross over. And, and yet it's amazing to me that more and more managers don't take that opportunity. And I, I, I think you do a very good job with the orientation process. Don't you, Michael? Oh, thanks. Thank you. I mean, I, I spend a lot of time on it, but there are a couple,
0: there are a couple other things that I think uh, could help club boards fall over the place. And, you know, there are some things that I don't think take place as bec- best practices. And I think they should. One thing, um, that I would absolutely recommend is board meetings be open to the membership, okay? I know that's taboo, but we are we are a POA now for the last two years. Uh, We have to have open board meetings, but 15 years ago, we opened the boardroom to the entire membership before it was mandatory as a POA. It was the best thing that we ever did. Why? Because we we went from eight hour board meetings and mm-hmm. talk about what band we're bringing in, what color tablecloth, should they be floorland at lunch, not floorland. Okay. The things that we were discussing in the boardroom room were just absolutely uh, really silly, silly stuff. The minute, the minute we went to open board meetings, those meetings went down to an hour and a half. Why? Because the the leaders that we had in that room The ones that we went out and recruited because we saw something special in them and we knew they could contribute, didn't get bogged down on that silly stuff. They were able to fly at 40,000 feet, focus on the strategic plan, focus on all of our goals and initiatives that we were setting, uh, focus on the financial planning, focus on the real estate, focus on our future. And that was a game changer for, for Mm -hmm. us. I know a lot of clubs are scared of that, but um, you'll be amazed that once there's some peers looking at you in the boardroom, you're not going to be talking about the crudite. (laughs)
1: Yep. It's like uh, people peering into the surgery room, right? (laughs) (laughs) Why, why Peter or Dick, whoever wants to take this question on, but why, why, why are boards not very often transparent with their financials uh and and membership trends and capital needs and things like
3: that why why do you think that is
2: i've got a theory but maybe dick has one too
3: well i would i would think initially sometimes they don't fully understand the financial and Mm. and uh you know, I, we've done a lot of work with club benchmarking and Ray and, and Jim are very good at, at explaining to a board that they don't need to focus on the food and beverage costs. They need to focus on their assets and, and, you know, how they're improving them or not. And they the focus in the wrong place. And I think sometimes board members clearly don't understand the financials. So it's hard for them to, I think, uh, rationalize, uh, giving, giving, uh, members a, a good report if they don't understand it. So, That would be my initial.
2: Yeah, that's part of it. Uh, It's definitely part of it that people don't understand what they're looking at. The other part I see, Gabe, uh, and I don't know if Michael and Dick see this, is, you know, we're often dealing with clubs that are trying to grapple with a membership uh, trend that might be stagnant or even slightly declining or the capital needs of the club, as club benchmarking can tell you, are falling behind, sort of keeping up with depreciation, et cetera. And I find Board members are in this weird spot in this kind of a business where you don't want to go telling all your members that we're down 32 members, we missed our budgeted you know, recruitment of new members this year, attrition is higher than we expected this year, or we need to raise another several million dollars for the physical plant. Like Those are all truths that sound terrible to the average member and make him or her question whether they should stay at that club and pay their bill or join some other club that's in a better position. So they're inherently in a situation that is conflicted. Why should we tell the truth and run off 40 of our members? And so what they do, my experience is they hide, they don't tell the whole story and they send out happy talk emails to the members. And half of the members typically will send me notes saying, this looks like complete BS we know this is not what's really going on at the club. Why do they send us this happy talk? Yeah,
1: that's That, that makes, makes a lot of sense. I know I, I, you guys are busy, uh, Michael. You're running a club. Dick, you're running all over the country visiting clubs. So uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. But I'd love for you guys to give give, give us uh, all the listeners here one last parting shot. Maybe uh, an action step that you would recommend boards take um, that that would would broadly work across. You know the different diverse clubs we have listening to this show, Michael. Let me start with you. What what would be one action tip you'd rec- you'd recommend that either the manager or the board takes here as we move into twenty twenty one?
0: I think transparency is everything, and um, you know I, I talked earlier about going to open board meetings. I, I think there are a lot of additional steps, the focus group meetings with the president and the general manager, to improve your communication. I think there's always opportunities for um, guys like Dick to come in and speak to the entire membership. You know, when when I've, when I've had the opportunity to speak to memberships at large, um, there's a much better response from the membership. And the, the reason I point this out is in in a lot of cases... Members just don't trust the board and they don't trust management. They always think that we're up to something. We're, we're cooking something in the back and here they are. They're going to drop another assessment on us. I, I think when you have an opportunity to speak about the differences between how agenda-driven clubs are run versus goal-driven operations, what you'll see is the membership will be in total agreement. The- Board then is given the marching orders by the membership. They're endorsing it. Unlike in most cases where the board and the general manager get out there and dictate down to the membership, this is this is getting an experienced guy like Dick out there and and educating the membership and getting the endorsement from the membership to give the board and the general manager basically their their orders. And it works so much better when you can communicate and be transparent with them.
1: That's fantastic advice. Dick, let me throw it over to you. What's one action step you think fo- uh, folks in the industry should be looking at here in tw- as 2021 approaches?
3: I think every board could take the 12-question survey that we do and do it on SurveyMonkey, and it really gives them a, an opportunity to see how they are functioning as a board. Very simple to do, easy to do. And it, it also compares them to the three, 400 other clubs around the country that we've given this to in terms of the board. So they understand, you know, what they, how they're functioning as a board. And I'll just, one of the key questions in that survey, about in the middle of the pack is a question, do you uh, rank the level of trust at your board, in your board right now. And for one to five survey. So, you know, we've, we've seen, I just worked with Thunderbird Country Club in California. Their trust level is at four point eight five on a five point scale. That's mm. amazing. That's what's getting so many things done there because they they trust each other, and and we. On the other hand, I've I've seen the club in California was about 2.0, and they had all kinds of issues. Uh, you know, Stephen Covey wrote the book The Speed of Trust, and if you have trust in your boardroom, you'll get a lot of things done. If you don't have the trust, and Michael mentioned that earlier, you don't have that trust. Not only with the board, but with the staff and with the GM. Then it's really difficult. So again, I just think you need to take a good look in the mirror right now. If, if uh, you're a board member and say, hey, let's take a look and see, are we, how are we doing
2: in terms of a board?
1: Well said, Dick. Peter, let me throw it over to you.
2: Yeah, those are two great action steps. I guess I would say even, even a higher level, 40,000 feet. I would say one of the problems with club boards is they're so insular. Most of these people don't know anything about club management or agronomy or the golf business. They're just, you know, smart, successful business people in the community. And because of the ignorance, I think that drives some of the behavior that isn't helpful. And so maybe they're scared uh and they stay insular. So my, my simple suggestion to them all would be poke your head up like a periscope. Commit yourself to making a half a dozen phone calls in the first couple months you get there. Call someone from club benchmarking. Great resource that we're all agreeing on, right? They have all this data about all these clubs. Just, just call them up and do a half-hour overview, and maybe you'll subscribe to something, the data service consultant. Call Copeland Kugler, wallace right? Leading lights in this industry, not just on getting you a new general manager of staff, right? Give a board retreat, et cetera. You know, call somebody like us that's in the capital part of this world. And just, do you know how it works? Do you understand how you're going to have to assess or raise dues or turn a profit or get a partner like us? And maybe call a Troon or a kemper or somebody who does third-party management if you think you have needs in that area. But put up the Periscope, make a half a dozen calls to industry leaders. And get yourself a little bit better education about this industry you've landed yourself in by virtue of volunteering for board service. That's what I would suggest.
1: I love it. I love that advice. Gentlemen, I want to thank you all for uh, being so uh, gracious with your time. So giving to the industry and uh, for joining us here on Private Club Radio. If you if you haven't already, I absolutely recommend you check out Copeland, Keebler, Keebler and Wallace. Uh, is it kknw.com, Dick? Is that the best website?
3: That's easy, KKNW.com.
1: Beautiful. And of course, definitely check out Michael's uh, club, Addison Reserve, which uh, you, you should also follow Michael on LinkedIn. He, he puts out some really great content there as well. And of course, thanks to our sponsor here, Peter Nanula of Concert Golf Partners, ConcertGolfPartners.com. Absolutely. If you're looking to take a, a deeper look at the financials at your club, um, Peter and his team have incredible creative ways in order for you To have success here as we move into 2021. Gentlemen, I want to thank you all for joining us.
2: Thanks, Kid. happy holiday, everyone. Same to you, too.
1: You. See you guys. Awesome. Hey, Kid.